Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. I started Meals for Maturity back in May 2023, not really sure if people would listen to these short Bible talks in this podcast. I've mentioned plenty of times before that these Bible talks are never meant to replace your regular Bible teaching from your church, but really to supplement that or to give you a greater taste for the goodness of God's Word, especially in some neglected parts of Scripture. On the Meals for Maturity Facebook page, I've always uploaded a number of the slides that I use uh, for the YouTube talks, highlighting Bible references and and quotes, etc. So you can check them out sometime if you want. I've received a little bit of feedback from various people across the three series so far, Esther, Joel, Numbers. That's not the people I receive feedback from. But anyway, thank you for tuning in. Uh, to these series. If you, want, if you want to drop me a note anytime, then I won't charge you for that. In fact, it'll be a great blessing to spur me on. In the meantime, this will be the final Meals Maturity talk for this series before I take a summer break, and God willing, I'll start up again next February 2024. It's been my great privilege, really, to teach 16 Bible talks from the Book of Numbers. Be thankful it's not 36 to match the number of chapters. And I'm also very thankful to Hannah for her great readings of Scripture. My prayer is that you found these Bible talks helpful, beneficial, as we journey onward toward our promised land of an inheritance that can never perish, fade or spoil, kept in heaven for you and me because of the glorious gospel of grace. Well, for this Bible talk, I want to cover 11 chapters, wrapping things up across chapters 26 to 36 of Numbers. Obviously, this will be very brief in detail, unless you want me to speak like a chipmunk in triple speed or race across the Sino Desert like you're driving in a Dakar rally. Maybe you could find time to read these chapters or listen to them being read sometime. There's lots of gold to be found in them as you sift through the desert sand. The purpose of this final Bible talk really is to take us through chapter by chapter at the back end of the book, tying together some loose threads, but coming back to the big picture and plan God has left us with to learn from this often neglected fourth book in our Bibles. From Numbers 26 onwards, chapter 26, we're dealing with Israel's future as they prepare to enter the promised land. Remember, Balaam has previously prophesied about the safety, security and success that Israel is going to experience, despite their great failure in chapter 25. So load up your camels and let's get moving. Numbers chapter 26 gives us another chapter of numbers, glorious numbers, all over again. Numbers chapter 26 verses 1 to 4. After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, from twenty years old and upward, by their fathers' houses, all in Israel who are able to go to war. And Moses and Eleazar, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people, from twenty years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses. These were those listed by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who listed the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. But among these there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest, who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, They shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. And so we get an echo of what we started with way back in Numbers chapters 1 to 4. It's another Israelite bureau of stats. But this time it's recording the second generation of Israelites. 
because we know back in chapters 13 and 14, this was God's plan. Remember, following the failure of the 10 out of 12 spies to take hold of the promises of God about the land that he was giving them. And so we have this second census where the little ones of chapter 14, verse 31, are now growing up to be the bigger boys and girls about to enter the promised land, which will happen, of course, in the book of Joshua. One Bible commentator says the most important number in numbers is the number two, that is two generations. God remains faithful to his promises to this second generation, and we have this transition to new leadership. So we go from Moses to Joshua, from Aaron the high priest to his son Eleazar. Interestingly, the total number from this census, which I've spared Hannah from reading more tricky names, the total number is roughly the same number from earlier in the book. Remember the five Ps we started with ages ago? Well, God continues to preserve his people and remain committed to fulfilling his promises to Abraham and now to Moses. Will this second generation do better than their parents trusting in God's word? Well, only time will tell. Chapter 27, I've called five daughters, one new leader. Because I've only got three daughters, I didn't feel worthy enough to preach on this chapter alone. Zelophehad, with his five daughters, are in a different league from me, and I bow down to him. But it's a fascinating chapter, again highlighting God's faithfulness to his people in providing for them, in blessing them with a land which they neither deserve or, or could earn or could ever buy. Uh, chapter 27 is about a legal case study where dad has died, the Z man for short, and he leaves no sons to inherit a piece of the promised land. Instead, he has five unmarried daughters. And so they go to Moses and they ask him to help them work out what should happen. Moses doesn't know what to do, so rightly he asks God for wisdom and a way forward. That's a good lesson for us too, isn't it? And God gives uh, them the answer. Back in Leviticus chapter 25, we hear this about the land of Canaan. The land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me, says God. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess you shall allow a redemption of the land. So since God owns the land, uh, which also means he owns your real estate portfolio, by the way, uh, since he owns the land, his people shall inherit what he determines and no tribe of Israel or clan or family shall miss out on God's gracious provision. Even the five daughters of Zedman will be looked after and provided for into the future. Chapter 27 ends with Joshua appointed as Moses' successor as he will lead Israel under God into the promised land. Perhaps this is pointing us to another Joshua many centuries later who will finally arrive and lead God's people to the ultimate fulfillment of rest in God's land. Did you realize that Joshua, in the name Joshua in the Greek New Testament language, is actually translated Jesus? So Jesus Joshua will bring God's people into our final rest that Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 speak of. Jesus Joshua will be the good shepherd who leads his people to peaceful pastures to rest our weary souls in him. All right, are you still on your camel? Because we're going to journey to Numbers chapters 28 through to 30, which brings us some detail of the sacred calendar and sacred vows that God's people are to keep once they enter and settle into the promised land. See, God's people came out of Egypt and into the wilderness wanderings. And as 
uh, they do that. God provides for them priests and sacrificial system and a tabernacle, sacred places and people and rituals, all reminding them, of course, that God is holy and they are to be his holy chosen people set apart for worship and for witness before the nations. And so as Israel under Joshua enter their new homeland, there's to be the establishment of what we call holy days or holidays and various offerings. And these will serve as a teaching device for God's people and also a guide for their worship. So chapters 28 to 30 gives us God's commands and instructions for firstly daily offerings and then what to do each Sabbath day and then each new moon festival and the Passover festival, the festival of the weeks, which is later to be known as Pentecost, the festival of the trumpets, uh, the annual special day of atonement, and then detail about a festival of tabernacles or tents. And all this detail, you see, is reminding Israel that they are set apart from the nations. And this sacred calendar is a way to help them grow spiritually and to never forget all that God has done for them in redemption and pouring out his steadfast love upon them. And here also is a mechanism in their new land to show them how God will forgive them and save them despite their ongoing sin and rebellion against God's Ten Commandments. Now, as you labour through reading all this detail of these sacred acts and sacred days and sacred places, and as you get to the book of Leviticus and get stuck in your commitment to read the Bible through, as you wade through this detail for each offering and feast day, we're to be reminded that in Jesus the Messiah, God's final Passover lamb is here to take away the sin of the world. And we're to be reminded that all these holy days and holy sacrifices and holy appointed priests in the Old Testament are pointing us to see how, the glo how glorious the gospel is for those found trusting in God's Son and his promises in the New Testament. You see, all these festivals find their fulfillment in Jesus, the one true Son of Israel. All these sacrifices find their final moment in the once-for-all time sacrifice at Calvary that the blood of bulls and goats and every other animal sacrificed on the altar is actually fulfilled in the blood of Christ poured out for many as a ransom uh, to bring us back to God in peace and in fellowship. Friends, is there any better place to go than to be reminded of this than in Hebrews chapter 10? For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities... He can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. 
and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What I've tried to show us through this series is that Numbers, the book of Numbers, is full of typologies. That is, giving us types of Christ, uh, types of Jesus, uh, various pictures pointing forward for us to see him. So here's some examples of typologies across Numbers. So you get the tabernacle in chapters 7 and 8 pointing us, of course, to John chapter 1. You get the cloud by day, chapter 9 of Numbers, pointing us to the references to the clouds through the New Testament, as I highlighted. You get bread from heaven in Numbers 11, pointing us, of course, to John chapter 6. The failure of the spies, chapters 13 and 14, is pointing us to see Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. The water from the rock, as we saw uh, in Numbers 20, is pointing us to the Lord Jesus. Uh, the bronze serpent on a pole, a type of... Uh, the Lord Jesus lifted high upon a pole. And Phineas, the plague stopper. And the Lord Jesus, of course, fulfilling the final plague, our plague, uh, dying in our place for our sins. You see that in something like Romans chapter 3. Well, let's keep shaking the sand out of our sandals and keep journeying with ancient Israel into chapter 31. I like to think about Numbers chapter 31 like the director's cut of chapter 25. But Numbers 31 picks up on the story from Numbers 25. Remember the rebellion on the plains of Moab? Phineas's holy zeal in stopping that plague? And then the command from God to Moses to strike down the people of Midian. Well, here in chapter 31, it's like chapter 25, part 2, the final scene, the director's cut. Uh, Numbers 31 fulfills God's command uh, to attack the Midianites, including that rebel razor, Balaam for all the evil he has caused across Israel in orchestrating the Baal worship at Peor. And so we have a holy war happening at the Lord's command. Now, if you want to explore more on this theme of holy war across the Old Testament, then you can check out Emil's maturity talk I gave in our Esther series on that. In many ways, this holy war against Midian is a picture of God's judgment brought forward. So rather than delaying to the end of time, God is bringing that forward, this judgment forward. God is a God of justice, of holiness. And this chapter is pointing us to see that all his ways are true and right, even when we can't quite get our heads around his ways sometimes. Numbers chapter 32 gives us a real estate, a real estate crisis. Uh, not quite rising interest rates or foreclosures on properties or some GFC hitting ancient Israel, but nonetheless a real crisis as Israel settled into the promised land. Two tribes, Reuben and Gad, they spot some prime farming real estate in a region called the Transjordan. You can look up Gilead on your Bible map sometimes. Basically, it's a land just outside of the borders of Canaan. And so these two tribes with their leaders, they want to claim this region as their inheritance and start their new life here. But Moses is not very happy about this idea, thinking that Reuben and Gad, the tribes, basically want to depart and separate from the other ten tribes and not really help in the future battles to come in claiming the promised land. Uh, he thinks that these two tribes will be a great discouragement to the rest of Israel as they settle. Well, eventually the real estate crisis is avoided through some back and forth dialogue between the tribal leaders and Moses. And thankfully, the crisis is averted with Reuben and Gad both declaring their allegiance to greater Israel and their commitment to fight alongside their fellow 
Israelites from other tribes, even though they have now staked their fence lines in and began to settle in their new postcode. Perhaps it's a little bit like Tasmanians. There they are. There you are living on your lush green apple island. You're separate from the mainland, but you are still required to be called up for war should New Zealand ever invade Australia. Now, as Bible readers, we do know, of course, that eventually a great rift and divide will occur among the 12 tribes of Israel, separating them into northern and southern kingdoms. But for now, in this early stage of their history, God's people remain unified. Numbers chapter 33, I've called the Travelogue for Ancient Campers. Basically, it's a chapter summary of all the travels and events and camping grounds across the story of numbers that we've seen from Mount Sinai through the, uh, through the Sinai Desert and now to the Transjordan to the plains of Moab. The chapter follows the formula, Israel left campsite A and they camped at campsite B and so forth. Reminding us, of course, that Israel moves forward to the promised land like an army under Yahweh, their commander in chief. None of us know exactly where our list of wilderness camping grounds will be in our life, but we can be confident that one has gone before us and he has marked out our camping spot in his sovereignty and he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Remember that God will be uh, with his cloud above you, if you like, perhaps to remind us as you look up in the sky of God's abiding presence. Now, remember, we started uh, with this lonely planet guide to the book of Numbers. Well, here in chapter 33 is a revision of this. It's a recap for the new generation to remember, to look back at God's faithful provision and ongoing forgiveness through the good and bad days of Israel's journeying. It's like God is saying to Joshua and to his new troops, OK, guys, let's take a moment to look back at 40 years and to see my faithfulness in action and bringing you through many toils and trials and snares as you now arrive at the edge of the promised land. I like to think that the soundtrack being played as Numbers 31 is being read is a song by Matt Papa and Matt Boswell, Almost Home. That promised land is calling, we're almost home. And not a tear shall fall then, we're almost home. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back, we're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost home. Chapter 31, the travel log for ancient campers, is really a recap and a reminder of the five Ps on their plate. God has been the central player across the wilderness wandering, showing us the presence of God, the providence of God, the patience of God, the promises of God toward the people of God. Well, the final section of the book, chapters 34 to 36, we read of fence lines, chiefs and cities of refuge. Uh, across these wrapping up chapters, we learn that the true lawgiver is God himself, not Moses, and that all of God's people, including the five daughters of Zed Man back in chapter 27, they will receive their God-given inheritance of the promised land. None will miss out on God's provision. These last few chapters will deal with matters pertaining to the settlement into the promised land. And we keep hearing these repeat, re repeated phrases uh, in these closing chapters. And the Lord spoke to Moses and then on the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. I like what my 
Old Testament lecturer Bill Dumbrell, now in glory, he writes, or he wrote, the message of the book uh, very clearly is that if Israel wishes to enjoy the blessings of the land of promise, they must follow God's unfailing guidance and keep themselves unspotted from the world. The promised land has been the goal for God's people across their wilderness wanderings, and now it's finally coming into view. So it's only fitting that we hear the closing words of the book. Numbers chapter 26 verse 13. These are the commandments and the rules that the Lord commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. The very last word in the book of uh, in the Hebrew language in Numbers is Jericho, pointing us forward to the book of Joshua and all that's still to come. All of God's promises given to Father Abraham are now falling into place. Okay, that's a quick race through uh, the back end of the book. Once more showing us, as most Old Testament books do, that here is a God who remains faithful despite the unfaithfulness of his people. That's why I've called this closing Bible talk a faithful finish. It's a message loud and clear across the 36 chapters. And it's a message loud and clear across our lives as we continue to cling to the truths that God is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3, The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Lamentations chapter 3, the well-known verses, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So reading the book of Numbers through the lens of the gospel reminds us over and over again that our inheritance is guaranteed, not because of our faithfulness, but because of God's if we continue to cling to his word of promise in the gospel of grace. Through the book of Numbers, we keep seeing both the kindness and severity of God, his judgment against sin and rebellion, and yet his lavish grace and mercy toward undeserving sinners. It's there in almost every episode. Travelling Home has been the series title, the theme of a journey that is walking with God, a pilgrim making progress, travelling home. It's a big theme, isn't it, across the Bible? We certainly see that here across 36 chapters. But in the New Testament, we're reminded of this journey as Christian people, recounting numbers in 1 Corinthians 10 and Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. Even across the book of Acts, we have this journey theme being played out as the apostles take the gospel beyond the borders of Jerusalem. And certainly in the book of Revelation, we see this theme of our journey home to the eternal city of God in the last couple of chapters in our Bible. And then there's the theme of of being strangers and pilgrims on earth, citizens of heaven across the New Testament. And so I want to finish this series with this reminder from Martin Pakula that I gave at the start of our series. He writes, The book of Numbers teaches us about the church on its journey to God's promised inheritance with nothing to hold on to but the promises of God. Friends, until next time, next year, keep marching onwards 
shaking the sand out of your sandals, resting in the shade that God provides graciously for us. And keep walking by faith. And remember, we're almost home. So keep trusting in the promises of our faithful, good God. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.